0: Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News, Russia-Ukraine war podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine with your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts.
1: My name is David Obelts. I'm the chief content officer for Malcontent News. Linnea has the day off. I want to start by saying that my Slavic pronunciations are nowhere near as bang on. And I thank you in advance for your kindness and patience. Let will be back on Monday. I also want to thank our audience for making the Russian-Ukraine War Podcast one of the top 200 news broadcasts in the world. I can speak for the entire team when I say thank you for your trust, and we will continue to work hard every day to earn it. It's been 3,138 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27th, 2014. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's reports includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers, and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's begin with our daily assessment. We assess the following. The morale of Russian forces continues to remain low. With an increasing number of reports of surrenders in Kharkiv, Luhansk, and Kherson, we maintain that Ukraine still holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain defensive on all axes except Solodar and Bakhmut. We maintain that Russian terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure will continue and could intensify at any time. We maintain that using tactical nuclear weapons on the battlefield is highly unlikely as it would require striking what the Kremlin believes is Russian soil, and Russian forces are incapable of fighting in a conventional environment, let alone a seaburn setting. We maintain we're in the mutually assured destruction instability paradox due to irresponsible language from the Kremlin, looming decisions from Moscow leadership, and the deteriorating kinetic warfare situation for Russian troops in Ukraine. The Kremlin is facing renewed backlash from Russian state media and the mill blogger community as the first bodies of the mobilized are returning home after receiving no military training and substandard equipment, despite assurances MOBICs would be trained for at least four weeks before deployment and not sent to areas of intense fighting. We maintain our assessment that the Russian military in Ukraine is combat destroyed is accurate, and the Russian military has no meaningful way to respond to the ongoing and accelerating collapse on multiple battlefronts. Starting in Kherson and Mykolaiv, Ukrainian Russian sources reported positional fighting from Echchenka to Sukhanova with no change in the line of conflict. The Russian Ministry of Defense continues to make very optimistic claims of battlefield success. Pro-Russian sources reported a small unit attempted reconnaissance in force towards Suhi Stavok, capturing at least one Ukrainian soldier, but were forced to retreat. I really hope I said that town right. The claim of taking a POW was not backed up by pictures or videos, and the Russian Ministry of Defense loves sharing those pictures. The general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine reported an attack on Suhi Stavok, was successfully repulsed. Video showed Ukrainian forces have liberated Kostromka and captured abandoned Russian equipment. We have updated our war map. If you want to follow along on a map, you can visit our website, malcontentnews.com. There's a link in the menu if you go to our website. Russian troops also attempted to advance on recently liberated Novakamyanka but were repulsed. Operational Command South reported the Ukrainian Air Force executed seven airstrikes and ground forces conducted almost 200 fire missions. Targets included air defenses in Kavkovka and Boroslav. The strike in Boroslav destroyed four S-300 anti-aircraft launchers. Russian troops and equipment formations northwest of Kherson and within Kherson itself were also hit, and three command posts of the Russian 35th Army were attacked. According to reliable social media reports, Russian equipment or troops were attacked by rockets fired by HIMARS and Komo A video from Novokavkovka recorded the sharp crack of a rocket fired by HIMARS explosion. Russian social media reports claimed there were six explosions, which would be consistent with a HIMARS barrage. HIMARS rockets struck the Andonovsky Bridge in Kherson, and Ukraine continues interdiction efforts along the Dnipro River. There are growing numbers of unconfirmed reports of recently mobilized Russian troops committing insubordination in Kherson. Claims include one unit killing their commander, another unit refusing to fight, and up to 300 troops surrendering and handing over their weapons to Ukraine. We can't verify the veracity of any of these claims, but there is significant chatter from multiple sources, both Russian and and ukrainian that's giving these reports a lot of weight we'll continue to monitor that situation for verification morale among mobics is likely to be extremely low with confirmation that men constricted between september 22nd to 29th in russia have already been killed in combat between october 7th and 10th along the northern front in herson and their bodies are already being returned to russia A video showed Russian troops had abandoned a large ammunition cache stored in a Ukrainian school building. The building had been ransacked, with Russian troops setting up firing positions within the school among the stack of ammunition boxes and shells. Amnesty International hasn't said anything about it, and we're not expecting them to. Vladimir Saldo, the self-declared leader of occupied Kherson, requested that citizens of Russia be evacuated to... Russia. This is to say that Saldo requested that residents of Russian occupied and illegally annexed Kherson be evacuated to Russia, like the Russia before 2014 Russia, because, quote, every day the cities of Kherson region are subject to missile attacks. Just yesterday, Russia released new maps showing Kherson as part of... Well, I I guess you get the point at this point. Shortly after his video statement on Telegram, Russian-appointed deputy governor of Kherson, Kirill Stramozov, said there is no evacuation of the Kherson region and cannot be. He went on to say that the call for residents to temporarily, quote, stay and rest in other regions of the Russian Federation, unquote, is not a call for evacuation. Saldo appeared to go into damage control mode, changing his request for evacuation to a suggestion that residents of Kherson who want to rest and get a, quote, change of surroundings, unquote, should consider going on vacation or attending school in Russia, but not in Crimea, Kherson, Zaporizhia, Donetsk, or Luhansk, Russia, but Russia, Russia. Those who want to stay in Russia, as in what was Russia before 2014, would be given economic opportunities to do so. We're so confused. Mikio was attacked by S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for ground attack with one striking a five-story apartment building and destroying the top two floors. One person was killed. An 11-year-old boy was trapped in the rubble for six hours before being freed. He died after arriving at the hospital. There's a video. It is absolutely heartbreaking later in the day rescuers recovered two additional bodies in the destroyed building moving on to Nipro petrosk and northern zaporizhia the situation at the zaporizhia nuclear power plant has stabilized with no change from yesterday International Atomic Energy Agency Director General Rafael Grossi was back in Kyiv and meeting with the Ukrainian foreign minister in a bunker due to ongoing air raids. Grossi told reporters that he had spoken with Russian officials about the detention of ENERGOATOM employees and called the actions unacceptable. There continues to be no update on the status of the Deputy General Director of ZNPP, who was kidnapped by Russian troops three days ago. The IAEA rejected Russia's claims that they owned Zaporizhzhia nuclear power plant on October 6th and grossly reinforced the organization's position in yesterday's meeting. The general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine reported that Russian units are moving more equipment and troops into the plant compound because the facility is not directly targeted by artillery and rocket attacks. No no word from Amnesty International. Have we heard anything from Amnesty International? no no word from them four Iranian source shahed 136 kamikaze drones were shot down over nikopol during the overnight hours the city was hit by artillery and grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems mlrs there were no reports of significant damage or casualties four more drones were shot down near nipro with no damage reported the city of zaporizhia was once again attacked with s300 anti-aircraft missiles used for ground attack no one was injured in the attack, but it did cause a fire and damaged infrastructure not related to power distribution. The number of missile strikes remains lower than earlier in the week, but Ukraine clearly hasn't found the right S-300 launchers yet. Moving on to southern Zaporizhia, Russian forces shelled administrative settlements from the donetsk zaporizhia administrative border, to Holepole, to Orhiv. Orhiv was continuously shelled for the second day in a row. Russian mill bloggers continue to claim that Ukraine is preparing to launch a major counteroffensive in Zaporizhia. Let's move to quick assessment here. They say a broken clock is right twice a day. After six weeks of claims, eventually these predictions are going to come true one day and the Russian mill blogging community is going to go, see, we told you so. Ay, ay, ay. The Russian FSB has started a crackdown in Russian-occupied Melitopol with numerous checkpoints re-established across the city.
0: You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on Patreon.com at Malcontent News.
1: Let's talk about what's going on in southwest Donetsk. The Donetsk People's Republic, that's the DNR, Militia, Public Relations Channel reported fighting in one location and claimed their units destroyed a tank and three armored personnel carriers. Ukrainian forces carried out 226 fire missions on the Russian-occupied territory. Fighting was reported in Vasile, Pervomyske, and south of Neveleske. Video released by pro-Russian sources didn't show ground fighting in Pervomyske, with activity limited to artillery strikes. The self-declared leader of the Donetsk People's Republic, or would that be the Donetsk Oblast in Russia now? Denis Pushlin vowed that a, quote, turning point, unquote, in the war was coming, and that the first army corps would be able to go on the offensive with the arrival of thousands of mobiks what's going on in herson all i got to say is good luck with that bro <music> moving on to northeast donetsk fighting continued to be intense south of bakhmut However, the telegram social media drama between the LNR, DNR, and private military company Wagner Group, led by Yevne Prigozhin, was the bigger battle. The territorial defense of the Donetsk People's Republic claimed that their units, supported by the Second Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, that's the LNR, captured Evan Hurud, boy, I hope I said that right, and Optine Pregorosin said, not so fast. Your forces haven't set foot in Optine, and PMC Wagner captured Ivanrad without your help. On a side note, the GSAFU reported that both towns were still under Ukrainian control, but were experiencing heavy fighting. Pro-Russian mill blogger Rybar entered the chat, also making no claims of battlefield success in either settlement, stating... There are no significant changes in the front line. If you're wondering if we're confused by all of this, the answer is no. And we didn't make any changes to our map. Let me move to assessment real quick. Prigozhin has been waging a social media war against the Kremlin, specifically Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shogu, and riding the wave of public sentiment that Wagner has been the only effective fighting force in Ukraine since August. Leaders of the DNR and LNR are desperate for any victory to help prop up the morale of the 1st and 2nd Army Corps, which remains combat destroyed, largely staffed by untrained conscripts with poor equipment, and continue to be thrown head on at Ukrainian defenses. After nine months of war, there remains tremendous friction between the indigenous militias of the DNR and the LNR, Chechen forces, Regular Russian troops, volunteer units, and the PMC Wagner group. The social media war with Prigozhin publicly calling DNR self-declared leader Pushlin's proxies a bunch of liars likely indicates he is trying to reinforce his relationship and in influence on Russian President Vladimir Putin. Additionally, Wagner is paid a bonus by the square kilometer captured adding a financial motivation to take claim for any success. In our final assessment, the DNR Territorial Defense Telegram channel has constantly made false claims about battlefield successes. We don't use that channel as a resource. The lack of cohesion between the rival factions almost certainly is impacting Russia's combat effectiveness. Moving back to what's going on and not the fighting that's going on in the social media space, fighting also continued on the eastern edge of Bakhmut. There was no change in the situation. Ukrainian forces continued their defense of Odorovica, preventing Russian troops from advancing. With all the fighting over who is fighting, we can't determine which Russian units attacked Odorvika. Maybe the debate will continue. In the online space. Here's the current situation as we know it in Luhansk Russian forces continued attacks on Ternene and Torske with no change in the situation. The Russian mill blogger community has given up their claims that the settlements had been recaptured with some reporting that Ukraine is building forces in preparation for a renewed offensive towards Kremina. Quick sidebar here, the Russian Ministry of Defense hasn't given up on those claims. And actually, that's all we can report that's going on in Luansk. And there's some other things, but we've been asked not to share to maintain operational security. Here's the situation in Kharkiv where Russian forces control less than 2% of the oblast. Ukrainian troops advanced on Krokmalne after pre prearranged to surrender their defensive positions on the P-7 highway. Based on the advance, it is certain that several other settlements have been liberated. Otherwise, Russian troops in those villages would be completely surrounded. There wasn't any information if the troops who surrendered were part of Denis Pushlin's game-changer with the DNR. Ukrainian forces continued to advance on Suavote from three directions and have reached the Luhansk administrative border on the P-7 Highway. They're about 20 kilometers away from that strategic transportation hub. Two S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for ground attack struck the city of Kharkiv, knocking out power in some neighborhoods. There weren't any reports of major damage or injuries, and there weren't reports that the power plant was specifically targeted. (laughs) we have a quick update on the Kyiv region. Yesterday, we had reported that there was a drone strike in the Kyiv Oblast, but that the location had not been reported yet. The drone strikes were in Nalevaikivka, which is just west of the bucha Irpine area. There were no casualties reported, but there were no specifics on what the target was. The Russian mill blogger space is claiming that it was a big warehouse filled with NATO weapons and lend-lease hardware. One, there's been nothing exchanged via lend-lease. And the second thing is just because Russia continues to put ammunition and big piles of equipment in big undefended piles doesn't mean that the rest of the world's militaries do that too. Moving on to western and central Ukraine, three caliber cruise missiles were fired from the Black Sea towards Zolochiv, east of Lviv, with one intercepted and two striking a military base. There were no casualties, but Ukrainian officials reported that, quote, military property, unquote, was destroyed. Ukrainian air defenses intercepted four more cruise missiles across the region. <laughs> Moving to the Russian front, Belharad had another bad day due to air defenses. An anti-aircraft missile failed after launch and crashed into a high-rise building in the center of the city. There were no casualties reported, but the building was badly damaged. A second air defense missile failed, arching into the ground just four seconds after it was launched. There's a video, and by the way, if you go to our patron... You can get our situation report that links to many of the resources we discuss on the podcast. An ammunition depot in Belhorad had a mishap of some sort. Video shared on social media showed a large fire and the sound of small arms ammunition cooking off. There's growing outrage over the situation in Crimea and the wait to take a ferry to cross the Kerch Strait. Currently, only four ferries are operating, and wait times have grown from hours today's despite claiming on the same day of the attack on the bridge the roadway would accept bus traffic and the railroad lines were already open neither was reality there's a memo allegedly from the russian government that is circulating claiming that the bridge will be repaired by july of 2023 we're working on authenticating that document. We weren't able to do it at the time of recording. For non combatants, the line to board the ferries is virtual up until the day they actually get their slot on the ferry. The last eight to nine hours are spent in line, and there are complaints piling up that there are no bathrooms food, drinking water, or assistance for those waiting in line, and that people who suffer medical conditions such as diabetes are having serious problems in particular. Hi, this is David Obelth. I'm the Chief Content Officer for Malcontent News. I hope you can join me on October 16th for our Sunday podcast. We'll be joined with Jamie Reif, Jamie Reif is the project manager for the Russia-Ukraine War Factbook, written by Craig Reed. He has some tremendous insights about the ongoing war in Ukraine and the history that brought us to where we are today. Let's shift gears for a moment. You had talked about the impact that drone warfare has had in Ukraine How do you think that this will change other conflicts going forward? There are a thousand different uses you could do do for individual type drone, and the Ukrainians caught on real fast. In fact, they have a special what I call a proto-military unit. They had been IT enthusiasts and drone hobbyists who uh, uh, quickly got involved from the first day of the war, and they used their drone knowledge to to participate in the the defense of Kiev. They were so wildly successful that they,
0: they got military commissions.
1: I really hope you can join us. Let's talk about theater-wide and external developments. Ukrainian military leaders say they are monitoring military activity in Belarus, but see no signs that the Russian-friendly nation has plans to invade. Sergei Naive, the commanding officer of the joint forces of the Ukrainian armed forces, said they were prepared for an attack from Belarus if one was launched. He added that Russia had established a permanent garrison in Belarus with 1,000 Russian servicemen, six aircraft, four Iskandar missile launchers, and 12 S-400 air defense systems. The Ukrainian Air Force had a rough 48 hours losing two Su-24 multi-role aircraft and a MiG-29 fighter jet to mechanical failures and accidents. There wasn't information on the cause of the separate crashes of Su-24 jets in western Ukraine. The MiG-29 crashed while intercepting cruise missiles in drones on October 13 and may have had the canopy struck by debris causing the crash. No air crews were lost, but the MiG-29 pilot was injured and is in the hospital. The Russian Federation issued a notice to airmen, also known as a NOTAM, setting up a temporary danger area for parts of the Kara Sea from October 17th to the 22nd. Located in the Arctic, rumors are running rampant that the NOTAM is for an undersea or underground nuclear bomb test. There is no indication that any such test is being prepared. The Russian Federation has previously announced they would be doing live fire exercises north of Murmansk the week of October 17th. In our assessment, this is probably related to that exercise. The deputy secretary of the Security Council of the Russian Federation announced they have a new red line, declaring that if Ukraine were to join NATO, it might start World War III. Do we have to change the sign? He didn't mention nuclear war, so we don't have to change the sign. He did say, Kiev is well aware that such a step would mean a guaranteed escalation to the Third World War. NATO members themselves understand the suicidal nature of this step, he told reporters. (sighs) Okay, bro. Moving on, Portugal announced that they were donating six KA-32 helicopters to Ukraine, The Ka-32 is a civilian version of the Russian Ka-27 military transport helicopter. Due to sanctions, Portugal can't obtain parts for the Russian-built Ka-32s. The airframes are currently inoperative, but Ukraine has the technicians and spare parts to put the choppers back into service. Spain has been training Ukrainian troops to use the Spada air defense system, which was introduced in 1999, with the first crews completing training today. Additionally, Spain announced it would donate four Hawk anti-aircraft missile launchers with munitions. The Hawk system was developed in the 1960s, and in the Russian mill space, they're having a field day about this ignoring the fact that they're bringing out 800 t62 tanks that were designed in the 1950s but the hawk system that is being sent to ukraine underwent its last modernization just last year let's talk about what's going on with russian mobilization and military status The Kremlin is facing national outrage, again, over mobilization as the country learned the social contract around mobilization was broken, again. The governor's press service for the Chelyabinsk Oblast confirmed that five Mobiks have already been killed in action in Ukraine. But the story is a lot worse. According to a report in the BBC interviewing fellow soldiers, the five were mobilized between September 26th and 29th. They arrived in Luansk on October 3rd and crossed into Kherson through Novokavkova on October 6th. They were deployed to the Borosentke area on October 7th, and some were ordered to advance one and a half kilometers to a defensive position. A quick sidebar The only places spicier in Ukraine right now is Bakhmut in the E-50 ring road near Pisky. When they arrived, they found the location was in the middle of a field with no cover or prepared defenses. They had to dig trenches with their bayonets because they weren't even issued spades. They were given no training and spent no time on the firing range. And as they dug in, Ukrainian drones started flying overhead, dropping mortars and grenades on them. On October 8, they were attacked and hit by artillery. An order to retreat was given, but they didn't know which direction to go due to confusion and the lack of training. The wounded were transported back to Novokavkova and then flown to Sevastopol on helicopters. Families started receiving death notices on October 9, and the first five bodies arrived back in Russia yesterday. Some of the dead went from citizens to cannon fodder in nine days, despite assurances from the Russian Ministry of Defense that they would be properly equipped and receive two weeks of orientation, followed by a month of combat training before deployment. Russian mill bloggers are furious, as well as Wagner PMC. One mill blogger wrote, I'll tell you what, some commanders on the ground should be shot. Gentlemen officers, you have no moral right to wear your ranks and your epaulets. The result of mobilization is that untrained guys are thrown to the front line. Zinc coffins are already coming. You told us there would be training, that they would not be sent to the front lines in a week. Did you lie to us again? Find the courage to admit that this is a war, that everything is missing, that everything was on paper and at exhibitions. Speak to the people. With the truth. Quick assessment here two things. The Russian Ministry of Defense isn't prepared to speak to the Russian people about the truth because if they did, the Russian people would likely say, We need to take the L and go home. And by the way, where did all of the billions of rubles go? The second thing is, we get a lot of inquiries on our Twitter yesterday about the significance of zinc coffins. There's no secret code here or anything sinister. Zinc is a very easy to hermetically seal material, and it's a common material used for caskets that are being transported over long distances. So there's nothing secret about zinc. In another blow to Russian pride and trust in the Kremlin, the body of a 28-year-old former staffer in the Moscow mayor's office was returned. He had no prior combat experience, was mobilized on September 23rd, and died in combat on October 10th. All is going to plan, comrades. All is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights sections, we talk about sensitive topics. There's nothing really terrible in today's report, but if you want to skip ahead, The timestamps are in the description. In Russian-occupied Chaplinka, Russian troops tortured a 16-year-old pensioner to death. The man was arrested for having a pro-Ukrainian stance, and his dumped body was later found. Investigators recovered the bodies of three people executed by Russian forces in the Kupiansk area, One man was shot on the head on September 21st for helping Ukrainian troops. His neighbor buried his body. The bodies of a couple were found on the side of the road. They were apparently ambushed in a mortar attack. Moving to better news. 20 more Ukrainian POWs were released in a prisoner exchange with Russia. The soldiers were held in Kherson, Zaporizhia, and the infamous Olenovica Prison Colony. The released prisoners include 14 soldiers of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, four Territorial Defense Forces personnel, a National Guardsman, and one seaman. Another 96 children who were removed from Ukraine and sent to Russia were recovered thanks to the work of the NGO SOS Children's Villages. This is in addition to 37 children recovered earlier in the week. More than 8,100 Ukrainian children are documented to have been taken to Russia and many of them separated from their legal parents. In Russia, the Tiver Regional Court of Moscow sentenced Anton Yusov to 15 days in jail and fined him 50,000 rubles for the terrible crime of listening to Ukrainian music in his car. He was jailed despite having sole custody of four children under 18 years old. People love Russian mir because we force them to with violence. Finally, on the geopolitical and economic front, the ruble improved slightly with an exchange rate of sixty-three for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices ticked upward, with WTI trading at eighty-nine dollars a barrel and Brent rising to ninety-four. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline on the spot market was almost unchanged, trading at 266 a gallon. That's 71 cents a liter for more than half of our audience who is not from the United States. Chicago SRW wheat futures were flat, trading at 886 a bushel for December 2022 delivery. And that's what we know. You're stuck with me for one more day. I thank you again for your patience and understanding. As I work through those pronunciations, I'm going to go have an anxiety attack now, and we'll do this again tomorrow. And quick side note, I do have anxiety.
0: You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia Ukraine War podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.